Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, where we absolutely, positively, definitely, I assure you on my life, will not, 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 not be making any G.I. Jane jokes. <laughs> I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. How are you, boys? Oh, good, Rob. Uh, yeah, we will keep that lady's name out of our motherfucking mouths. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say motherfucker, to be fair. Oh, did he? That's right. <laughs> I said fucking twice okay. really loud. <laughs> Dear me. Uh, I, I love how just before we came on air, we agreed we weren't going to talk about it as well. I know, yeah. yeah. Straight in there, anyway. Straight in there. But anyway, are you both all right? Yes. Good, mate. Good. Fine, how are you? Good. Oh, just really good. Yeah. Happy days. Um, all the happier, as always, to see you both. What have you both been watching? Oh, so I've seen some good stuff. This week. So nice. I wanted to shout out a film that's recently come to Disney Plus here in the UK. Might be Hulu in America. Um, and that film is called Fresh, which is a biting take on the perils of modern dating and a pretty charming rom-com until around 33 minutes when the opening credit <laughs> roll, and it very much isn't anymore. What?! To say much more would ruin the surprises, but needless to say, what unfolds is a stylish, twisted tale featuring a pair of great performances from the leads. So Sebastian Stan once again proving that outside of playing a super soldier in the MCU, he's an actor of great charisma and edge, and Daisy Edgar-Jones further enhances her credentials as a future star. There's some sort of heavy-handed genre tropes and baffling decisions from characters towards the end, but on the whole, I thought it was a really smartly scripted, totally enthralling feature debut from director Mimi Cave. Mm. And I'll be looking out for what she does next. Really enjoyable wow. on Disney+. Plus, So uh, check it out, but don't read anything about it beforehand. Amazing. Uh, from me not knowing, well, not having heard of it, to then <laughs> hearing that, I really want to see that now. Yeah, uh, I mean, the thing is, I would prefer for films like this to be getting cinema releases, obviously. Mm. But... If they're going to go straight to streaming, if they're going to be of this quality and you know made for adults in the in the way that that these films are, then at least they're getting made. And because they're going straight to streaming, they probably get a bit more creative freedom as well mm. on top of that because they don't have to worry about box office and things. Obviously, you prefer genre movies to be going into the cinema, but this is a pretty. At least they're getting made anyway. Yeah. You know, so. That's the main thing. Yeah, more genre movies, people. That's what we need. Yes. Love it. Preferably in cinemas, but if not, if they're going to come onto streaming, make sure they're of the requisite quality. Rob, if you do know absolutely nothing about it and you've never heard of it, brilliant. Because I'd unfortunately had the gist of it sort of ruined on Graham Norton. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's still great. I still enjoyed it. It was still very, very good. But if you're going in completely cold and you have no clue whatsoever oh seriously i got nothing then i think you're you gonna nothing. yeah you're gonna get a real kick out of it after that half hour mark i think you'll like it Rob. oh buzzing uh, no i am i am buzzing um i thought when you said fresh it was the name of that the sort of you know those we don't speak of <laughs> um you know the the reboot of Oh no! Not oh, that. I've, no. Bel Air. No, I've not seen that yet. No. It's supposed to be very good, though. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, is it called Bel Air? Yeah, yeah. I've heard it's very, very good. Cool. But now Sebastian Stan's great because I've I've just finished watching that Pam and Tommy, and he's he's superb in that. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, it's good to see him getting roles outside of the Marvel 
universe. He's really good in I, Tonya as well. He plays a massive yeah, piece of shit in that. He's oh, really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great movie, that. That should have won awards. It should. It should. Cool. Um, anything else? Oh, yes. Uh, so... We did make a family cinema trip this weekend, as half-term is upon us in the Stuart household. Uh, So we took the boy to see Sonic 2. Now, for me, I'd watched Sonic 1 on the Friday, the night before, which I very much enjoyed. I hadn't seen it before, all the way through anyway. It's good, isn't it? Uh, It's just... It's we're not not trying to win awards here. We're just trying to be entertaining. And it does that. Yeah. Yeah, the first one's really, really good, I thought. Uh, The second one is sort of overlong and a bit needlessly convoluted with a bit too much focus on irritating human supporting characters. But nonetheless, it worked a treat for my four-year-old. He was amused by the fart gags, as was I, enthralled (laughs) by the many well-staged action sequences, and the action is plentiful in this second uh, instalment. And he was really unnerved by Knuckles's menacing presence as voiced by Idris Elba. So, you know, if you're a parent and you're thinking of taking your kids to see Sonic 2, or if you're just young at heart, if, like me, you have a nostalgic reverence for the property, having played the Mega Drive classics back in the 90s, uh, the film is more tolerable than a lot of other kids' entertainment. But why is it two hours long? Why would you make a kid's film two hours long? I don't understand. Marvel effect. Trying to cram two games in one film, I think, because Knuckles wasn't in Sonic 2. No. Sonic 3, so they're putting in, wedging loads of stuff in. But it's amazing the turnaround on that sequel, because obviously I'm still convinced the the whole drama surrounding the redesign was intentional to build up buzz around the film. If that doesn't happen... No one would have watched it. I know they couldn't have thought that thing was acceptable the first. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it, that was yeah. No one would have gone to see it at all. And no. then because everyone sort of kicked off about it, there was this sort of like everyone felt obliged to go and see it because they were like, "Oh, I can't." Yeah, I can't really moan about it like that yeah. and sign petitions and all that <laughs> shit, and then not go and watch the film. I think it was completely. Um, concocted. I'm sure that's a conspiracy nonsense, but um... <laughs> have to tweet that to Matt Letizia and see if he's yeah, yeah. that one. <laughs> and we haven't had conspiracy corner for a while, so that's, we that's haven't. Why... That, this is like a legit. Like, let's do this. I don't. It just seems like genius marketing. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But um, obviously, the poor VFX guys having to start again. <laughs> <laughs> Screw those guys! Uh, yeah. I, I tell you what, I did find with the with the Sonic movies though. Do you ever feel a bit sorry for James Marsden? Oh, always. He's like this super handsome guy who should have yeah. been like a leading man. Always. Is it? He's always acting in these strange kids movies. He was in for, Hop, wasn't he? The, yeah. The Russell yeah. Brand I only noticed Easter that. At, one. at the end, my my son was watching something on Netflix and it finished and you know you get the little trailers at the end for other things that you might like and Hop came up and he's there with a CGI Russell Brand speaking of conspiracy theorists (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like this guy's like as good looking as 80 Tom Cruise and he's like I know, I know. acting in front with these CGI animals. <laughs> I don't think his career's ever got over, seriously, the abomination that is The Notebook. You know, when he was bend off because those two good looking people just couldn't work out what they felt about each other. He got market corrected by Ryan Gosling. Honestly. <laughs> what a sick movie. <laughs> I'd say... Uh... X-Men 3 as well, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the leader of the X-Men. 
and he was just relegated to just this like secondary character who just got uh, bumped off. It's like he's the leader. Yeah. <laughs> and Superman returns as well because he's and Superman yeah, he gets returns. cocked in that as well. Doesn't yeah. So, so you know, we need a guy who's <laughs> adept with CG cute creatures and also yeah. getting his heart absolutely smashed. <laughs> Who have we got? By this point, he's just like, I don't care. Just give me the money. I'll just do give this the in money. my sleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he does some good TV work. To be fair, he was in. Westworld, and uh, there's a show on Netflix which uh, the name escapes me now. Oh, which is very good in uh, Dead to Me, I think it's called. And there's um, a a sequel to uh, Enchanted soon as well. Where oh, he's good he's in that as well. Yeah, as the prince, there's Prince Charming. Oh, oh, he's excellent in that as well. Yeah. Great movie that. But he obviously gets his heart smashed in that. Yeah, he's doing all right, but you know, I felt yeah. sorry for him anyway. Yeah, no, <laughs> poor guy. Ah, depression. Um, moving swiftly on. Um, pastures new. Uh, pastures more positive, possibly. Sorry, what have you been watching? Um, I mean, aside from that video of you decking it on your skateboard. Which, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many views that, that got? Oh, thousands, surely. It's yeah, fifteen thousand views. <laughs> superb, absolutely superb. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that with the world, Rob. Well, it's one of those, it's too good not to share. You know, like, if you're going to be involved in something that stupid, you've got to share it. All the hours you've put into this podcast as well, and that gets 15,000 views in, like, a week. <laughs> no, that was two days. That I've not counted since, though. Two days. Dear me. Um, but but no, uh, other, other than that, uh, the, 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 the random spook fest continues for me. Oh, uh, I love this. I've racked up like a few uh, movies since we last spoke, uh, which included Sinister, uh, which is amazing. 28 mm. Weeks Later, which is so good. Such mm. a good sequel. Ooh, we really could do good. that on the pod. I think it qualifies. I think you're right. Yeah. It's it, really it's, good. It's really good. Um, and I watched that Sensor James, which I think you mentioned on. A oh yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. I bought it on a. There was a 4K sort of special edition, and I bought it and finally watched it. It's very good. It's very very British, like very, yeah. incredibly oh, yeah. British, but now very good. Um, but one particular highlight was uh, I went to the cinema to watch X, oh. which is uh, Ty West's 70s set erotic slasher flick. Uh, that sees a group of aspiring actors and filmmakers make an adult film in rural Texas. It is a real like love letter to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and films from that era, and you know it does play on a lot of tropes of from slasher films, but it also like challenges and subverts them as well. Like um, in the, in particular, you know it's really saucy. You know it's one you wouldn't watch with your parents, <laughs> um, but it, it it carries like a real uh, sex positive message. Rather than treating it like something you should be ashamed of, um, which is which I thought was very a very modern point of view in a in a period film, um, it's just so visually striking, like with some genuinely inventive stuff going on with the camera and the lighting, and and of course it has all the like gross hallmarks of a seventies slasher flick with like some real stomach churning moments, um, but Mia Goth is just like astonishing in it and. She plays two roles in it, which I didn't know watching the film. Um, I only got it at the end on the credits when her name pops up and it says her and she played two people. If this film doesn't make her a star, it would be an absolute travesty. She is so good in this film. Cool. Yeah, I wanted to see that, but it's been bumped out of my local cinema by Bloody Morbius. (laughs) So... 
The missus wants to go and see Morbius. Uh, she <sighs> wants it, or as she calls it, the sexy vampire movie. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll probably go to the cinema to watch that. Sexy vampire. The the only bit I've seen of the transformation stuff, he looks like that the hair that's pulled out of the the drain in the shower. <laughs> I just can't believe um, he's fifty years old. It just oh, doesn't know, yeah, compute so. in my head whatsoever. No. He might be an actual vampire. You know, I yeah. think he probably is. Yeah. Did you uh, did you hear? Did you read Commode's review of it? It says uh, Jared Leto has never been the world's best actor in Morbius. He isn't even the film's best Jared. Which <laughs> 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 uh, oh was cruel, but very funny. I, <laughs> I, I, I did have another thing I wanted to shout out. Um, so quickly um something something i did not expect to enjoy so much actually but uh i've watched that joe versus carol on now tv oh yeah um, oh yeah which is, i think it's like an nbc the nbc streamer in america is this the one with kate mckinnon yeah it's been getting a massive kick in critically because it's basically just a dramatization of the documentary of tiger king and that was like two years ago and everyone's probably a bit over it and, and yeah. blah 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 but I'm really liking it. It's really funny. <laughs> That's cool. I'm just really enjoying it. And Kate McKinnon is really funny in it. She's got like a walk and everything, like a little wobbly <laughs> walk. <laughs> and you're constantly like waiting for the next character to pop up as you're like, oh, when is Jeff Logan appearing? And who's it going to be? Um, but it's it's Kyle MacLachlan as Carol's long-suffering sweetheart of a husband, Howard, who no. just completely steals it. He is Does he? absolutely <laughs> brilliant in it. He, what inspired so casting funny. that is? That is brilliant casting. I might give this a watch now. He is absolutely <laughs> amazing. It's just... Really, it's point. It's the most pointless TV show. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. it re- we know what happens, and you know, but it's just really satisfying. Like if you were really into the Tiger King thing, um, it's a bit. All the animals are CGI as well, which is a bit jarring. But um, <laughs> other than that, it's. Just, I I just think it's really funny. I see why people wouldn't be bothered about it because you know, as I say, it's it's sort of two years ago. But yeah, as a sort of um, let's just stick it on. To pass the time and have a laugh, it's really good. I'm I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's great! And, and yeah. now TV, you say? I think it's now TV. It could be Disney Plus. I'm pretty sure it's now TV though. Yeah, I think it's through the Peacock app, which is part of your Sky subscription or now TV subscription. Right, right, so, right, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I'm looking at some of these photographs here. Some of the the wardrobe and makeup is astonishing that's going on here. <laughs> the guy who, you know, the, the guy who goes and documents it all, like the old school, who did like hard copy or whatever it was. Yeah. Who, who, who sort of documented it all on camera. It's, it's Bill Fickner who plays him. No! And it's just, it's just super. The greatest, one of the greatest men ever alive. He's got space dementia. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just watch it for Carl McLachlan alone. He is... So funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm really <laughs> loving it. Really enjoying it. Oh, this is great. Absolutely great. What about you, Rob? What have, uh, what have you been watching? We'd be delighted to know that Series 3 of Expedition Bigfoot started on Friday night. <laughs> um, and series 3, uh, have they found him yet? I'm del- <laughs> delighted to tell you that they didn't. Uh, in the, the season opener. No payoff whatsoever. <laughs> Um, but it was it was just the usual wonderful hokum that I've come to enjoy. <laughs> how many episodes are there per series? I'm fascinated by how they're getting away with this. Oh, only eight. Uh, no, no. 
I don't know how many. There might be. Uh, it's either thirteen or eight. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> James's face. How are they uh, getting away with this? Well, they, because they keep getting closer. They keep getting closer. You see, mm. and they, they will find him. They will. They will. Um, <laughs> um, I also uh, showed the kids. Um, because they love the original Jumanji movie with uh, Robin Williams. So oh, yeah. I showed them the Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle with the Rock. Yeah, it's good, that. Yes. They absolutely loved it. Really good, yeah. They really liked it. Yeah, the first one's really good in particular, yeah. Well, don't burst the bubble yet, because tomorrow night we're watching the second one. Um, yeah, and it's fine, the second one, but I was really impressed with the first one. Yeah, it's really like, good. It was way it? better yeah. than it had any right to be. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really, really good way of putting it. Um, but um, yeah, loads of fun, loads and loads of fun, and a really nice, neat twist on on that really, you know, that concept that we all really know and love. Um, I'm uh, doing a bit of research at the moment on um, the Cray twins, so um, I watched uh, Tom Hardy's oh, Cray's movie, The Leg- uh, Legend. Yeah, they're very fascinating. Uh. Accent Tom Hardy loves it. <laughs> yeah, and playing two roles as well. Because in this research process, I'm, I'm, you know, reading biographies and true life accounts and all sorts. And this is a very, very Hollywoodized account of what went on, so fiercely to the point of pastiche, really. Yeah, he has a fight with himself, doesn't he? There's a quite a well shot scene in that film where yeah, yeah, they, they uh, both have a, they have a punch up in the club, don't they? And it's yes, Tom Hardy fighting himself. <laughs> it's really well cut. It's I mean the 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 effects of it are absolutely outstanding because it's a period 1960s movie as well. Mm. It's just that it's it's more done. You know, these people committed absolutely heinous crimes. Yeah, it's a bit broad, isn't it? It's a bit <laughs> comedic. You know, yeah. like oh yeah. look at these boys and all these japes knifing people in the face scamps yeah little murderous scamps <laughs> yeah like uh, not sure that's how we really feel about this are you gonna watch the um the the the, the kemp brothers i will be yes film. i will be it's good that yeah no i'm really looking forward to that one as well so yeah i, I also watched um the craze kill order which is a documentary um 2022 documentary on on uh, prime video so you can watch that immediately but this is astonishing because it's a lot of you know let's call it what it is a lot of elderly people talking very frankly about the crimes that they were convicted for and did time for and it's astonishing to see these little grand grandpas going <laughs> like you know like yeah i disposed of their body and all this kind of stuff like flipping Jeez. nora you know it's absolutely crazy um but that's a really good one craze kill order was really really interesting um, if you're into that kind of thing. But also, uh, the, the last thing I'd like to talk about, really, though, is the brilliant adaptation of Slow Horses that's on um, Apple TV. Uh, this is the uh, Gary Oldman starring, Kristen Scott Thomas oh, starring yeah. um, adaptation of Mick Heron's brilliant series of books. And if I just tell you that it's, you know, this is about a team of dropouts from MI5 who are put in an office above a Chinese restaurant and it opens with you know, <laughs> Gary Oldman's Jackson Lamb, his titular character, asleep and farting himself awake. And <laughs> these these miscreants are tasked with, um, yeah, saving London. And it's absolutely superb. Yeah, it's it's a super adaptation. Um, so good that I actually um, got a wee uh, pres- prescription? Subscription, sorry. <laughs> I got a, it was so great I needed a prescription. <laughs> <laughs> It was so great, and I got a subscription of Apple Plus uh, just so I can enjoy this. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. I, 
I, I've got an, an Apple Plus subscription. I don't, I don't watch it enough. It's it's it's, a, it's like right at the end of the menu, so I always yeah. forget about it. <laughs> it's got some well good stuff on it. There's some really good stuff on there, and they're adding more stuff all the time. I've still got my free subscription from when I got my new phone uh, last year. So Slow Horses on the on the list to do. I'm also watching Severance as well at the moment, which stars mm. Adam Scott, and it's this fascinating sort of take on work-life balance like slight sci-fi directed by ben stiller the production values are off the scale and stars adam scott who's obviously the greatest villain we've ever discussed on this podcast yeah. as uh derek and stepbrothers <laughs> <laughs> adam scott, yeah. oh cool well I, uh, you know any recommendations for apple plus i'd love to hear them fellas and listeners as well if you've got anything on apple plus while i've got this subscription so i can enjoy slow horses yeah. so i can fill my boots that'd be lovely thank you very much mm. so should we go into tonight's film and oh, um yes. goodness gracious um <laughs> <laughs> what a movie um uh so si it was your pick uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about it please yes uh, <laughs> so I, I don't, where do where do we go from here? Simon's talking like we've caught him doing something that he's not supposed <laughs> to be doing. Uh, this week we are heading into the cutthroat world of high end LA fashion, where everything and everyone apparently goes at quarter speed, <laughs> including the filmmakers. Uh, this is Nicholas Winding Refn's shimmering slice of art house horror, The Neon Demon. <laughs> He's not going to help you. I see 20 or 30 girls come in here every day from small towns with big dreams. Some girls crack under the pressure. You, you're going to be great. feel like to walk into a room it's like in the middle of winter you're the sun it's everything you know what my mother used to call me dangerous (laughs) you're a dangerous girl She was right. I am dangerous. So, Simon, the neon demon. Um, arguably, we we discussed this perhaps being the most arty film we've done. But, but what made you bring it to the podcast today? No idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm most curious about this. <laughs> so I think, you know, ever since um, catching Bronson randomly, which I think I mentioned on the Warrior episode, and when Drive came out, in my opinion, that film totally changed the landscape of, you know, the R-rated independent Hollywood film, particularly when it came to opening them up to like a wider audience. That shouldn't have been as successful as it was, but it really was. I've always really been sort of interested with what, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's doing and after seeing Only God Forgives you know his follow up to Drive 
that got absolutely pummeled during festival season. Like there were reports of walkouts and zero star reviews and people <laughs> booing it at Cannes and all stuff like that. And then when I finally got round to watching that, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I like, maybe this guy is, you know, I'm, I'm on, on side with this guy and I just can't really pay any attention to the, to the critical side of it. I'll just sort of make my own judgments. And, He's definitely one of those filmmakers you either like or you don't. And there's no doubt the films he makes are polarising affairs. <laughs> uh, and the Neon Demon is no exception. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's for, for me, he's sort of like, um, he's like an ever so slightly more palatable uh, Gaspar Noé. He's not as extreme as Gaspar Noé, I don't think. No. And he's just someone I really admire as an artistic film director and filmmaker and I thought Only God Forgives was an obvious choice, so I went with this one instead of uh, those two films. Fascinating. Probably stuff. should have gone with the other one, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but so, when did you first see this one then, Si? Um, I saw this, uh, I watched this because of my other half wanted to watch this, actually. She was very interested in what it was about and what it looked like and who was in it. And I don't think we went to the cinema to watch it. I think it was a either a rental or um, if it was on Now TV or something, or Sky Movies or something like that. And when when we watched it, I was like, yeah, I'm. this is great. I really dug it. I Certainly from a visual perspective, I was really enamoured by it. So out of this and Only God Forgives, um, I plumped for the blue one rather than the red one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Interesting. So, James, what about your uh, yeah your relationship with the Neon Demon? I recorded it off Film Four two years ago and have never watched it, and it was just sat there on my recorder <laughs> for this whole time. It's just like I, I, sometimes I just scroll past it and be like, no, I'm not in the mood for that. <laughs> no, it just, it just fall further and further down down the uh, down the watch list. So this is very much a, a first watch for me. And only the second Nicholas Winding Riffin film that I've seen. I haven't seen any of his Danish films. I haven't and I didn't see Bronson that he made with Tom Hardy. So it's Drive and this. But I'm sort of aware of him as a as a sort of a provocative auteur. Yeah, Valhalla Rising's great as well, the Mads Mikkelsen one. Oh, I'd really like to see that. Yeah, that's on IMDb TV. I think I'm going to give that a whirl. Yeah, that's really good. And he makes an appearance in Death Stranding, the video game. Uh, He's one of the people you go and deliver pizzas to. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) In that mad, mad bastard game. (laughs) That sounds insane, that. (laughs) Uh, Well, I... Yeah, I, I I had never heard of it, and I think when you when it's funny when you mentioned Neon De- Neon Demon and uh, that you were going to do it at the end of the last episode, side it like sort of like un- uncorked a little something like a little memory, a little you know like a little nugget of information that was like oh yes that's interesting, but I I've only like James like yourself I've only seen Drive, um, I haven't seen any of his other stuff. I'm looking at it now, um, his full. Sort of, you know. Um, I think I might have seen Pusher a long time ago, and and I, yeah. So I had absolutely nothing to go off whatsoever as I started this movie. That's literally it. Um, but it, it must qualify. So budget and box office, James. Is that how we get this one through the door? Yeah, kind of. So 
In November of 2015, Amazon Studios acquired distribution rights to the film in the United States. It it did get a cinema a theatrical release, though. It was released in the United States on the 24th of June 2016 in 783 theatres. It earned $1.33 in the States and... 3.377 worldwide against a production budget of roughly seven million dollars. So it didn't earn back its budget into um, on its theatrical run, but having been acquired by Amazon and available for distribution in the US, I'm sure it more than covered those costs with that acquisition deal. And obviously, it did the festival rounds as well. And uh, as Sai touched on there with Only God Forgives, this one was also both booed and cheered at its, <laughs> at its Cannes premiere. So, um, yeah, polarising stuff. But a film like this with that sort on that sort of budget level is not expected to do gangbusters at the box office, particularly given that it's you know will have been R-rated in the States, 18 over here. It's not going to make a lot of money. Elle Fanning is relatively well known, but not a not a huge star. Kind of a weird movie. So yeah, it's probably done what you would expect from this sort of you know lower budget independent art house film. Quite is it quite a big budget for a, a film of this ilk though? It seems quite a lot, like close to ten million. Uh, it's not. It's not nothing. I imagine Drive cost at least double or triple. Mm. what this would have cost maybe even more than that and i think it's one of his uh it's probably his, his smallest budget american film i would think yeah I, I guess they sort of uh the budget got lower and lower after only god forgives <laughs> got yeah. absolutely panned because that was in thailand as well wasn't it so it's it like, was, yeah. oh yeah we're gonna be location shoot this one and i'm taking ryan gosling with me <laughs> <laughs> I'm still finding more things to unpack with every question here. Uh, so critically then, in which case, Sai, um, how did it fare there? Yeah, as you would expect from a Winding Refn joint. <laughs> the reviews, as James touched upon, the reviews were all over the place. And, you know, as with God, Only God Forgives and, you know, having the boos and the cheers at Cannes, that division really carried on to its uh, sort of written, published reviews from the critical fraternity. It's got a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 51 on Metacritic with a, a string of low scores, such as a big fat zero from James Berardinelli of Real Views, who called it pretentious and self-indulgent. Uh, Pete Travers of Rolling Stone said it was a special kind of awful. Uh, and Rex Reed of the US Observer also gave it zero stars. Um, there were... However, some critics totally on the other side of the fence. Uh, you mentioned him before, James. Mr. Mark Commode gave it four stars. He was really into it. Uh, Robbie Collin of The Telegraph gave it five stars. He really liked it. And uh, Wenley Marr of News.com in Australia said, if you give over to the Neon Demon, let yourself be completely immersed in its hypnotic fever dream. It will stick with you. Burrowed in your subconscious, it truly is a work of art. Um, so yeah, you you th- there's a reason it's in the fifties is because it's like either over here or over here. <laughs> it's yes. like it's it's a real polarizing polarizing film. Audience wise, it's pretty similar. It's like fifty one percent and four point five on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic respectively. Uh, Three point two on Letterboxd, higher than I was expecting actually. Um, a lot of people really digging the sort of bonkersness of it all. 
um, and the sort of neon deliciousness of the cinematography. Um, everyone was sort of really into that. And then others who just absolutely hated everything about it. <laughs> Uh, a lot of a lot of accusations of condescending misogyny, uh, a very big theme over on that particular platform. Um, with one user saying they wish they were at Cannes so they could boo the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm just wondering why I picked this movie. Uh... <laughs> well, this is like this is perfect wheelhouse. Like everything I've heard there is wheelhouse city for us. Absolutely. And I guess if you're a filmmaker, particularly one like uh, Winding Refn, who probably considers himself more of a more of an artiste than a yes. than a commercial filmmaker, then I imagine that's absolutely the sort of response that he wants. He'll want, you know, one or two raves and then a few absolutely what is this dirt losing like their he'd, mind, yeah. He'd be he'd, he'd be going mental if everyone just went, eh, three stars. Like, you know, that was average. <laughs> yeah no true it was a bit like it was a bit annoying because a lot of the sort of english film press like total films and yeah empires and sight and sounds they were all just like three stars and you said yeah you've got to go one way or the other you can't you can't sit there and go this film was all right i think you either get it or you don't and you either like it or you don't (laughs) Uh, well, I might, I yeah. might be a bit of a pain with this. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to be a pain because there'll I be things I... that I really enjoy about it, but things that I really, really don't like about <laughs> it, and then I'll end up meeting somewhere in the middle. Honestly, like the two I... will cancel each other out. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I am like that as well. Um, but then again, I think we're we're probably the most easygoing and receptive film crowd you'll find. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, because we look for the positive in everything as well without ever overlooking if something is poop. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> like we're, we're, we can accept most things, you know, but also, yeah. I th- but I think for me that, that rings very true what you just said, James. Um, if we just sort of go towards the team who made the movie it seems like, and I'm going to be very careful with how I word this, that if you were to watch the credits, it appears that only one person was involved in the making of this movie. Are you are you referring to the opening credits? Uh... Well, and the closing, uh, <laughs> and the the little monogram logo that looks like it was taken off a bathrobe. Oh yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you guys ever done the uh, the universal hand gesture for tosser at your own TV when you see? <laughs> <laughs> I, this this really, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about. Um, <laughs> the village yeah. and how you know it was sometimes a little bit of Shyamalan's ego that gets him into the this is the he has nothing on this <laughs> he has nothing on it he's doing it on purpose 100 he knows it wind <laughs> but he knows it'll, a person like me he knows it'll wind me right up <laughs> bathrobe monogram yeah yeah like it's like he's eve saint laurent like, yeah yeah like, <laughs> Well, that, well, that's it with, with, you know, it is a film bedded in the world of fashion and he must consider himself that sort of filmmaker. He's a high fashion filmmaker. Yeah. And that, those initials, it's just like, for God's sake, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he's, he's the, you know, his name is before any star, any... Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyone involved in this. His name appears twice before anybody else, then the monogram thing. And yeah. then in the credits at the other end, it's his name also appears twice before anybody before else. Twice. 
Uh, it's it's a little. Um, I found this a little much. If yeah. I, if I'm, you it's know. very uh, in association with Michael Douglas. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. It's, it, it's that uh, Mark Jacobs uh, thing. Is it Mark Jacobs by Mark Jacobs exclusively for Mark Jacobs by Mark, and by Mark Jacobs, Jacobs in association Mark with Mark Jacobs? Yeah, which I'm sure is what he's riffing on. But you, with him, I always get, and I mean this in a, uh, not in a in a completely negative way, is. I always get the sense with him when you know, I see him in interviews and things like that that he's a little bit of a troll. He likes to yeah, elicit a reaction, yeah. bit of an edgy boy, you know. <laughs> like he likes to wind people up, I think. And uh, yeah, so he's probably doing it completely for laughs. But there's that part of you that thinks, oh no, he actually does. He is this arrogant, and he does feel this <laughs> this about himself. This is why I was surprised to see that both Commode and Robbie Collin were re- really engaged with it and really liked it because I thought they would be the sort of people who would get annoyed at that <laughs> yeah. kind of arrogance. But it's good that they saw through that and they know that it's it's like, you know, he is doing it up. Because <laughs> I realised while I was doing the toss aside at my own telly like this is what he wants me to do and i'm not gonna give him the satisfaction <laughs> yeah i mean if that's the only hand sign you made at the television throughout the runtime of this film then, <laughs> then... <laughs> it's definitely a film that um, invokes a reaction isn't it yeah from, from people really really it, it certainly certainly is so with that in mind should we just jump in let's yeah. let's let's get going and let's talk talk it through as we go. And what I must say as well is, as irritated as I was by those opening credits, I was always also really mesmerised from them and properly locked in because that this Cliff Martinez score on this movie mm. is absolutely sensational, and the colours are so vibrant. Very much so. And that opening shot is just incredible with the slow push in dolly and the pull out as well. It's uh, and it's yeah. such an arresting image. Even something as simple as the font on the credits is like, this is a cool looking movie and it's, you know, it's very stylish and it's, you know, yeah. it's very much in line with what the film's about. But no, just like talking about the people involved in this, written by uh, Mary Laws and Polly Stenham, who were, I think they're stage writers predominantly, but yeah, big project for them. Um, and then shot by Argentinian cinematographer Natasha Breyer. Um, who's done a ton of shorts, like loads and loads of shorts. And she did Summerstown by Shane Meadows. Oh, did she? The black and white um, one, she shot that. And a Honey Boy by Shia Booth more recently, which is, again, again a really a really like, nice-looking film. So, you know, it, it's it's good that, you know, as, as arrogant as he seems to be <laughs> with his... It's good that he's brought this... The, this, this talent yeah. into work with him, and particularly female talent, because the film is very much about the female experience and you know, yeah. in a specific yeah. industry in a specific age group and yes, etc. etc. Which I'm sure we'll get into. But this is why I was a bit confused by the um, you know accusations of misogyny and stuff like that, because the film's written by by women. It's, yes. it's starring women who um, Abby Lee is in it who is a model and she give her experience during filming about this is how we did things. This is how these, this process went in terms of Sheesh. the things like that. That's frightening if that's the case. So what, you know, I feel it's a bit weird and a bit schneid. It's a bit of an easy criticism, I think. 
because it's a man directing. I think that's an accusation that people who don't read the below the line credits mm. would uh, could make yes. without no. Yeah. I think it's really important that he does have female collaborators, particularly on the writing side. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Because because yeah, you could look at it that way if if it was completely authored by him. I think he came up with the story, and it sounds to me like he, you know he did a pass on it, and then he brought two female writers in, yeah, to, to make it authentic. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, he, and he's got the you know the, a, a real like strong cast of, of you know female actors. You know, Jenna Malone has done so many different interesting projects over the years, and you know she's mm. obviously a big voice in that sort of independent movie world, and you know bringing in 16 year old Elle Fanning to and then getting her involved in changing dialogue and things like that so yeah yeah i feel it's a bit of a harsh you know i i'm not you know i'm i'm i can't say this completely because i'm not a woman but it mm. feels a bit of a cheap shot to be to be like throwing the misogynist thing at him when he's got all this talent around him, but he's intentionally brought that in. Yeah, but if he's if he's essentially exposing misogyny in an industry, yeah. then quite right, do it. There's you know, that, there's that as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so we'll let's get into it. Later. We'll 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 find out why the those misogynistic <laughs> accusations. <laughs> yeah, they, no, but the, but like you can't if you if you are going to you know level a, a misogyny accusation at this, there is not a single no, there is one positive male character in this film mm, yeah the young boyfriend character all the others the ones in authority are scum they are absolute yeah. scum you know so you can't really you know it's not like there's a savior thing with the men coming in and saving anybody you yeah. know or but because even him though like had his uh has has his sort of question marks over him because it's you know the very reason he's interested in and in jesse and you know yeah is because he is enamored by her beauty like everyone yeah. else is and wants to yeah, take advantage yeah. of that because he he wants his photography career to get off and blah 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 so and and yeah. also as well he's also he seems like he comes across as a nice guy but he's also exposed as a hypocrite by pollock's troy later <laughs> on in the uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alessandro yes. Nivola. yeah yeah um uh, where in the restaurant scene where he goes, if she wasn't beautiful, you wouldn't even be, you wouldn't even know her. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So even him, who's the most positive male character in it, is exposed Still as a hypocrite flawed. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, yeah. Hollywood nice guy Keanu Reeves is not uh, a nice guy in this. <laughs> so fascinating. <laughs> How, why is he in this Why movie? is he in this? Why is he in this? I thought he, because early on, so Elle Fanning comes to L.A., and uh, she's getting some shots done by an amateur photographer, although he's got a hell of a setup, and it's a really oh, no. beautiful <laughs> stuff. Yeah, <laughs> as if someone said those photos were boring. They're fucking brilliant. Oh <laughs> yeah, revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, and they mention her going in to uh, to do a tryout with this like high profile sort of fashion. Uh, photographer called Jack, and I went right. Well, that's going to be Keanu Reeves's character when, when they go in there, and it'd be like a nice little cameo. You know, he'd be like this really cool, stylish guy. But no, he's like this horrible owner of a flea pit motel. <laughs> Very handsome though. Like you expect him to be a bit more rough, <laughs> but he's just super handsome Keanu Reeves. Like, oh, what a dish! I don't think he can be ugly. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it's. Ah oh dear, I don't. 
the, 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 I, I find it so hard to watch these, uh, you know, scenes like this where uh, a man is directing a woman to do this, that, and the other. I find it just so cringe, and and especially when the power balance is so in one sided as well. Mm. Oh, it's staggering and horrible. So I, I just, if this is an accurate representation of what things are like in the LA modeling industry, yak. This is ugh. Yeah, it's quite a grim, unforgiving world, isn't it? And and this girl's a child. She's like sixteen. Yeah. Um, like thrown into it. You you find out her age when she meets um Christina Hendricks, who's it's a yes. brief cameo. Christina Hendricks is yeah. just like yeah. a, a sort of agency person, isn't she? Who, who sees the potential in her and that she's going to be amazing. And there's that really brutal bit where um she goes to the receptionist to get like a form or something like that. And she just looks at one of the people and goes, oh. yeah, you can go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that, it's God. awful, isn't it? <laughs> just, just so, awful. so harsh. Just this poor, poor girl. Just like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry for being alive. You know, yeah. like that, that's the way it makes you feel. Oh, it's awful. But I suppose it's the same sort of experience that actors have, don't they? Mm, like in terms yeah, of being yeah. rejected at all, uh, audition and, you know, probably, you know, I'm sure... If, I think anyone who works in any sort of creative kind of industry, there is a deal of rejection and having to take some pretty hard knocks in order to succeed and get... And this is obviously quite heightened as well, isn't it? And yeah, it becomes for sure. more and more yeah. heightened. But within that heightened satire, there is there is a truth that, you know, this industry is not especially pleasant, <laughs> to be honest. No, absolutely. I think um, there's also the fact that... that that yes the creative industry is very very um subjective isn't it yeah um but the in this instance it's looking at you what you are like in front of you mm. and saying that's not good enough that is very hard like yeah. I, I what was you told, actually look like is, yeah, yeah what you look like which is you know like i i was told by an american agent that um in terms of my books that i have no original voice that I'll never make it and that was to never waste her time ever again <laughs> Jesus sorry for laughing that's horrible no no oh no it's honestly it was it was brilliant because it made me tenard when it came to criticism you know <laughs> but it wasn't to my face it was to an email yeah you know and it was based on something I'd written it wasn't based on looking at me yeah. up and down and then going don't waste no. my time you know yeah. it's awful isn't it absolutely awful Imagine how harsh the criticism would have been if she'd seen you, Rob. <laughs> Imagine, dear God, get this man out of here. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Low blow. Good job we're on digital because he would have slapped you. Like... Know, yeah. uh, this movie, it's infected me with toxicity. Horrendous, I do apologise. <laughs> Oh no, Richard! Oh no, oh Richard! Oh Richard! <laughs> Rob Parker just slapped the shit out of me. <laughs> There's a little bit of South Park in that taste. Um, <laughs> Hello, Tans. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so Jessie, her name is, yeah. is making her way through the, uh, the the modeling scene. She gets picked up by a modeling agency, fronted by Christina Hendricks, who we mentioned, 
and she's sort of given a, a test with Jack. Jack is a repugnant piece of turd yeah. who wants a closed set, asks everyone to, else to leave, including uh, Ruby, who is Jenna Malone, who was a uh, makeup artist, I believe, on one of the previous sets, mm. previous shoots, sorry. Yeah. And took a shine. She's sort of taken her under a wing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like she? an affectionate kind of siblinghood towards Jesse. Or has she? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, 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 yeah, so she's sort of like, you feel like Ruby will be the moral compass for Jesse. Mm. Um, but even Ruby's kicked out of this shoot with Jack, who then just is, decides it's time to swaz on the, the gold paint and rub neck, <laughs> basically. Yeah, D-robe. Uh, um, oh, it's awful. 16-year-old it's Jesse. Awful. Everything um, else. Everything else. Take it off. Ugh. Yeah, all in the name of art, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. so like how this film, I, I think this scene, you know, when, when we're intro to this scene, it's just, again, just shot like the opening sequences, just shot so nice. Um, oh, yeah. I agree with you. It, 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 This film, for a lot of it, feels like art installation pieces yeah. <laughs> in mm. places. Mm. Mm. A, a good sort of comparison is like, um, you know, for this sort of, sort of toxic industry and a very jealous industry and you know comp- very competitive between you know th- these poor young girls who are thrust against each other and just it's a very frosty atmosphere for jesse when she comes into this world black swan's like the obvious sort of comparison yeah. yes and i would say black swan is very cinematic and you know a very exciting film and hits those beats as a mainstream movie this isn't that this is no, not a no. cinematic movie it's a very artistic movie mm. um but i wouldn't say it's like a it doesn't have a narrative thrust does it in the same way yeah. that like black swan does like yeah you feel like there's something that there's a very tangible thing that natalie portman's character is trying to get towards in that movie and there's real mm. conflicts and things like this where it's for the first hour of this film it's just sort of like her sort of establishing herself in la in all these beautiful shots and and whatnot mm. and we're getting a sort of a look at this industry and what it does to and the shelf life that the that the women have within the industry yeah. as well and how yeah. quickly they can be discarded. Yeah. Which it which is sort of similar for the film industry as well, isn't it? Just, yeah. I think we spoke about it before. It's just the age gap between leading men and leading women is just massive and you know, actresses who were like leads in the nineties, you just haven't seen them for decades yeah, because because they, they had like a six life. year shelf life and then they were gone basically. Like yeah. Yeah. Whereas all those nineties actors are still going strong and have been consistently working in big movies for the last thirty years and yeah, it it sucks. It's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. This film really like just really does point a finger at all that, doesn't it? And again to say he has made a misogynistic movie. And it's like it's that whole thing of like just because you're sort of showing it doesn't mean you're endorsing it. No, exactly. Yeah, and it's just it's a it's a vile world, isn't it? It's really yeah. horrible as presented in this in this uh, it, it, this version of it, certainly. And but I feel like you know it gets more and more out there as the film progresses. But I think in the early scenes, particularly in, when we sort of meet the other two models that uh jenna malone's character is friendly with uh sophie and uh is it sophie sarah and Gigi. sarah and, and Gigi. Mm, yeah. yeah that's where you sort of get the more biting sort of observations 
on the world of fashion models and you know the uh, necessity for plastic surgery and mm. the inability to eat a proper meal and and all this stuff you know they're tropes that you've come across before mm. um and that people have made jokes about previously but it feels more authentic as you say abby lee who plays sarah is is a model isn't she rather than yeah. uh, rather than an actress yeah i i didn't know that and that's absolute credit to her yeah she's really I good there, yeah, all she's the women are, all know. the women who play the models are really good in this movie yeah mm. The film is basically Jesse starting off as this innocent sort of rabbit in a headlights newbie to this world. And then as she grows on and more and more people get enamored by her, she then believes her own hype. And then that's how mm. the film sort of escalates. And, and that's the sort of pivot of the film and yeah. and where it goes. With with Keanu Reeves sort of scenes in the middle, <laughs> which just just insane. And it just that that the, there's the scene with them. Um, where she returns back, doesn't she? And and uh, it's like a really fleeting shot. She opens the door to her room. Yeah. And then there's something in there, but it's like the shot is so good. It's like long enough to know there's something there. Yeah. But not long enough to know what it is. Yeah. And you're just like, holy shit. And I think this is the first moment where you're like, is this a horror film? I'm not <laughs> yes. too sure. I didn't know it was a horror film. But this kind of incidental bit where it's a it's a mountain line, isn't it? What's got into a that is ridiculously brilliant, by the way. That <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so it, it's so great. The the whole motel stuff is is horrible, really. You know where she's found herself, etc. And just you know, moving forward, that that Keanu's involved in another very distressing scene with a knife. Where she's having a dream, I think. Is it? Well, a yeah, dream? was yeah. that real or was that a dream? Because that the, was there's... a dream. Yeah. But he insinuates that there's an underage girl live in one of the other motel rooms, doesn't he? And the, next door. Yeah, and he's just yeah, it's horrendous. It's just horrible. Like he's a real scumbag. It, there's a lot of suggestion, isn't there? Because you yeah. you don't when she wakes up from that dream, you don't see anything. You just sort of hear there's a commotion coming from next door. Because I think he tries her door first, doesn't he? But she manages to lock it. Yeah, someone does because you don't see who the assailant is, really. Yeah, and then it just—it's just that uh, you just hear all that, and then there's that really great shot where she puts her ear to the wall, doesn't she? And then the shot goes on the reverse of the wall and like pulls back, and you see the it's like see through. Yeah, yeah. There's some beautiful stuff in this in terms of how it's shot. <laughs> Visually, very impressive film, and everything's also like floaty. There's like so much high speed photography in it, and they really like long synths to the score. Yeah. And it, even the way that all the dialogue's delivered is all very slow. Yes. And all the, everything's dragged out. Probably why it's two hours long. It doesn't need to be two hours long. <laughs> yeah. But it's probably because of the, that everything's really like dreamy and floaty and, you know, languid and. Um, I can see why people would find it a bit pretentious. Yes, oh, well, yeah. it's very up. It's very up its own ass, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be yeah. frank about that. <laughs> uh, but having said that, the, the two things I will I will not be quibbling with in this film is one, the look. If you if you ask me to like design the look or to imagine the look, sorry, because I've got no design skills. Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if to imagine the look of an LA set movie about the model scene i would be like right it's like sunshine and neon and that's like literally what this is it's just so beautifully composed this film visually and the score as well is absolutely brilliant it fits and and 
it fits so tightly next to it. But also in terms of that pacing you mentioned there, Sai, like it just at those like sort of like mad plaintive like it's like a dying baby deer with the synth. <laughs> like ha Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it all fits brilliantly into one bigger picture. And 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 when I was sort of talking about drive before and how important it was, this neon thing is is been in vogue for a few years now. What was that? There's that Charlize Theron one, um, John Wick. Yeah, the, those films have this sort of vibe to it. Nicholas Winding Refn wasn't the first person to do this, but I do think Drive was responsible for this becoming a very hot trend yeah. of how to shoot movies and things like that. So mm. for this film to like take that route, you know, taking looks from sort of seventies Argento type films. Yeah, and then bringing that into the 21st century and and how to light these films in with digital photography because I think he shoots all these films digitally. I don't think he shoots on film. Yeah, he is digital. Yeah, apparently the uh, director of photography she wanted to shoot this on film, and he he said no because he knew how much neon he was going to be using. <laughs> but apparently that was one of the only suggestions of hers that he didn't take on board in, t- in terms of visuals he's like no i shoot on digital when your film looks like this and it's so specific in its look then that that feels like it's it's fair enough he's obviously going for a very specific sort of aesthetic which you can only sort of achieve through through digital photography yeah it looks great you cannot follow it, it for how this film looks. no there's no way there's yeah no way. and and when you match a visual aesthetic to a theme like this as well like it is very accomplished it's excellent yeah mm. and it's good because it's sort of um again we were talking about on the last episode you know storytelling through cinematography it's like it feels so artificial and that reflects the world that is so right mm, yeah that is uh that he's working within and that he's portraying because nothing about this world um of high fashion and modeling one of the big cruxes is that everything is artificially produced isn't it you know so if it's a case of the models having work done to to make them look more youthful or the way in which you know the the sets are lit and and what have you it's there is an artificial sort of veneer to everything within that and the film's look marries with that beautifully yeah totally agree again Totally agree. Even if it is a little indulgent, but it is lovely. Oh, it's yeah, it's definitely indulgent. It's yeah. a monogram <laughs> bathrobe guy. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he strikes me as the sort of man who in, enjoys the smell of his own brew. Like, uh, yes. Oh, yes. I think, yeah, I don't, yeah. Darling, come in here and just smell this. <laughs> Behold. Behold <laughs> what I did. This fine creation. Um, <laughs> such a sick image, but not as puerile as what Nicholas Winding Refn gets up to in the the final act of this. Movie. Well, I mean, well, dearie yeah. me, let, let, well, let's get there. Um, he meets um, Pollux Troy. Uh, sorry, she meets Pollux Troy, who is uh, the dude who runs a, has a fashion thing, and he is so transparent uh, in his behaviour towards the. Uh, women who were uh, put in front of him to be models for his show, that he literally, he, he, at one point, he rearranges a hanky instead of looking at one of them. Yeah. And then the next one comes on, and he's all, <gasps> and his breath is taken yeah. away. I mean, this is a sick, sick little weirdo. <laughs> uh, honestly, every every man in this I wanted to in- introduce to, uh, uh, as Kelbrook would say, a chocolate brownie. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just think he's so good in this. He is oh, good. he's brilliant. He's good in yeah, everything. He's brilliant. Yeah. That character of the the sort of um the the fashion designer. They're, they're all quite all the big famous ones are all quite eccentric characters, aren't they? And there is an air of arrogance about that sort of profession, you know, the big famous art designer and I just think he's so good. And I, I, as you say, Rob, I love that way. He's just so dismissive of everyone else. And then when she comes in, he's just sort of, ta- his breath is taken away, isn't he? Because, you know, as with everyone who meets Jesse, they're all like, oh my God, this girl is incredible. And to even impress this guy is like a big, and I think this is the point where she then falls off the that cliff, isn't it? You know, from being like a little timid, timid flower to like this brazen and bold, yeah, sort of super bitch, you know, which is the essence of it. And I think this is the sort of pivot point for that, um, which is then noticed by Gigi and Sarah, who are sort of Sarah, especially, is just sort of ignored by him, isn't she? And yeah, she's yeah. been sort of cast aside as yesterday's news, and 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 this is where the sort of conflict starts to come in from this point. Yeah, there's horribly blunt, isn't it? Some of the you know the assessments the women make of each other and. Pollock's Troy make I've got to say <laughs> Pollock's Troy <laughs> you know who we're talking about here because I don't actually know the character's real name what is it like he's not actually credited in the it's something like Sonos he's uncredited it's he's played by Alessandro Nivolo who's a really good actor and not he's just good in Facebook uh, face, oh, Facebook Facebook he's <laughs> excellent on Facebook yeah um, yeah what, <laughs> what what who let me find this find who he was you're absolutely right he's not He's not on IMDb. Roberto Sarno. 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 It's kind of like Sonos. Yeah. <laughs> He's so brilliantly repugnant as yeah. him. But uh, this sort of complicates the relationship that she has with Dean, played by Carl Glusman, who was the photographer at the very beginning. Yes. Um, who's sort of like a bit of a bit of a fan, has a thing for him. Uh, for her, sorry. Yeah, so he seems like a nice guy, but he's probably got quite creepy ulterior yeah. motives. Well, he's like, like his his fame for his his opening, you know, for his his photo, yeah, photo shoot, shoot was yeah, a yeah. throat slit murder scene, essentially. Absolutely dreadful stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, they they they. Uh, it's becoming obvious that Jesse's having a um uh, a character development. She's changing, you know. Yeah, she goes um, like full. It's like she's been given so many compliments that she goes full blown narcissist, doesn't she? Like, and this is yeah, this is and correct. that seems to be the comment is that you know if you keep being told that you're beautiful all the time and that you're perfect, then obviously you're going to start to believe yes. that as well. And she becomes very narcissistic as she moves through. Now it's like. Uh, and she says that all the other girls are butchering themselves and getting surgery and in order to look like her to be as pure mm. as she is at this moment, but seemingly not to un- not understanding that she'll also have a shelf life within the industry as well. Yeah, and mm. she just sort of isolates herself from the rest of... Yeah. You know, there's mm. not many friendly people in this world, but then the ones who... I mean, they're not even very nice to her, but the ones who try to be, she sort of isolates herself away from her. She breaks up with the photographer dude from the start, so he goes. She falls foul of Gigi and Sarah. And then uh, Ruby kind of shows her true colours and that she is uh, not as nice as she, <laughs> she's 
sort of initially sort of suggesting when she makes an advance on Jesse, who sort of promptly bats her away. This is just sort of the beginning of the end, really, for Jesse. Yeah. She's pissed off the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Thus begins her demise. But was that not the plan all along, do you think? Or is it because she sort of rebuffed Ruby? Mm. I thought it was because she rebuffed it. It was like, right, you have a choice. Yeah. um, Which might be, you know, again, particularly we've seen with this Me Too stuff in the film industry last couple of years, when... Uh, certain horrible men in the industry have, have sort of give that choice to aspiring actresses. Um, it might be similar in in the fashion industry. So yeah, I mean, I I got that as that. I I I don't think it was. They were always intending to do what they <laughs> end up doing to her. Um, <laughs> but I, I I do think it was sort of pushed on by her batting away Ruby and, yeah. and sort of turning down those advances because it's like, all right, well. You know, there are a million other girls who want this job and who can do this job. And if you're not going to give me what I want, then you can be blacklisted in a sense. That's a soft way to put it. Yeah, 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 that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the really unpleasant stuff, we have some quite unpleasant stuff before that. Oh so uh, oh Ruby has a uh, a sideline as a, uh, a makeup artist in a in a mortuary. You can't get away with talking. <laughs> I'm talking about this scene, Simon. I know. Brought, so... brought the film to, uh, to the Jesus. Park. I forgot yeah. about this horrific How could you scene? forget? I mean, that sort of says how bonkers things go in, <laughs> in the final half an hour of this movie. But... Uh, I mean, yeah. There's a there's a, a degree of necrophilia, isn't there? Let's just a degree. Yes, <laughs> a degree. Yes. I was having a lovely bowl of soup when I watched this, and nearly threw it everywhere. I mean, up out of out of my not own at body. the TV. What? Are not you at the doing? sorry. No, like, <laughs> no, right. So to, to put you listeners in the in the perspective of how this went down, like I inadvertently ended up doing a live sort of commentary <laughs> to Simon and James today <laughs> as I was finishing <laughs> off this movie, having never seen it before. And it was just astonishing what I <laughs> witnessed here. This bit in the mortuary, apparently, it was only supposed to end as a kiss between Jenna Malone and a corpse. Apparently, the other bits were improvised. It's just gross. Uh, there's no way to describe it other than absolutely disgusting yeah. behaviour. Yeah. I, 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 I'm at the point, I don't think I can talk no, about it. No, so <laughs> I just don't think I can. She interferes with a corpse. To put it bluntly. And it's very stylishly shot and it's quite <laughs> off-putting. Big time. You're a bit like, basically, for the rest of the uh, film, my notes just become what? What's happening here now? Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, one of the one of the best notes I've ever written is that piss. <laughs> <laughs> a valid question. I've put on uh, my notes here. Lynn, these are sex people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that you guys have notes because once this movie started, I couldn't make any. I just couldn't make any oh. at all. It's not a film to watch with the parents, is it? Um, oh, no. Honestly, this, this last this last hour, I was like, you know, regarding my wife, I was like, please don't walk in, please don't walk. Oh. How am I going to explain any of this? Please don't walk in, especially this scene here with the the mortuary yeah, the, stuff. The dead body. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. holy Moses, it's, <laughs> it's really gross. And and um, Jesse's staying with Ruby at this point, and the other two 
models, then rock up it's there, like an yeah. revenge mission, isn't it? Ta da! <laughs> yeah, here we are. Yeah, they just they just go after it. There's knives in hands. There's a lot of punches. Apparently, a real punch. She really lamped her one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lamped poor El Fanning in the face. Uh, El Fanning did a, a commentary on this with uh, Winding Refn, didn't she? Oh, I'd be interested to hear that. Actually. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I would. I would. And uh, they get to the edge of a pool, and she's cornered, uh, but uh, Jenna Malone decides uh, to <laughs> push her in. Push just her in. The pool is empty. The pool's empty. horrible. And she, well, she's a mess. Yeah. Even though, yeah, it's horrendous. Like she falls back, and the implication is like she's like paralyzed or whatever, and she's cracked her head open. And then, but the way that he shoots the blood pooling out of her head is like a really like grotesquely beautiful image as well. At the same yeah. time, it's like, yeah. did you ever watch that show, uh, the the TV spin off of Hannibal uh, with Mads Mikkelsen? And they used to do a lot of this type of stuff. In there, you know, like all these people have been murdered in these horrific ways, but it was shot so stylistically and like almost like a painting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the way that it was framed and presented, and he's very much in that sort of wheelhouse as well with what he's doing here. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, that if that's not bad enough, uh, we sort of get soft focus of the women approaching, and then we cut to them in the shower and bath, covered in blood. Yes. <laughs> So the bath is filled with blood and then the other two are in the shower, which this is a bit of a, a sort of voyeuristic, overly long and sexy shower scene, which you're very like, okay, fine. If you, yeah. yeah, very gratuitous. It felt like Carrie. You know, the opening and the yeah. ending of Carrie spliced together, basically. <laughs> There's an implication of what they've done to Jessie. You really don't know. You don't see what, what they've done to her. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of implied that something bad has happened. You just don't know what. And we find out what <laughs> what they did to her when Sarah basically gets what she wants now. For you know they they're at um, another photo shoot from it's Jack again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Because it's been mentioned earlier that Sarah's uh, that that Jack doesn't shoot Sarah, but he shoots Gigi, and then basically uh, Jesse El Fanning's character has leapfrogged her. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she gets what she's always wanted to be shot by him because um, all of a sudden there's something about there's something radiating from Sarah which he, he he's into um but uh yeah uh, Gigi has a bit of a, a bit of a stomach upset and we find out <laughs> what well she she says first doesn't she like when they're talking about Jesse and she just goes like we aid her and you're like okay what did did you really what 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 is is that a metaphor for something, or did you eat her? And then it's like five minutes say, No, yeah, no, they did. Yeah, they literally, did. we did. They eat did her. literally. Oh, yes, eat they did. Her. Um, yeah, because what the thing that tipped me off uh, with this is that you know after the gratuitous um, bathing and showering scene, and uh, Jenna Malone is toplessly rinsing down the pool and what, I and mean, she's got all these uh, tattoos, hasn't she? Yeah, across her yeah. chest, and they're like occult tattoos. Those, so it's some sort of witchcraft that they've right. attempted. Yeah, right, right. Because she's in an open grave as well, isn't she? At yeah, that point, it doesn't. It doesn't spell it out for you. You either take that from it or whatever. But it's some sort of ritual that they've done, and the yeah. cannibalism is. Uh, I assume it's something to sort of make them more, because Jack obviously spots Sarah. 
when she's waiting for Gigi on the photo shoot and all of a sudden he wants to shoot her when he's had her come in loads of times before and uh, and and not and not picked her to be part of any of the campaigns. And I don't know, does it give them a new vitality? Does it make them look younger? Mm. It's all there for implication. I think the the big satirical point that he's making is that the models will literally eat each other in order yeah. to get ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, it's it's just very <laughs> gross, isn't it? Rob looks so upset at the moment. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm still trying to process it. <laughs> I, I, I I this this was such an assault on the senses. This <laughs> yes. last forty minutes, twenty minutes, thirty. I don't even know how long it was. I, I still really haven't made up my mind what what I think about it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I don't know what to think. It's just. It's so rancid <laughs> that I don't know what to say. Um, but I do have, I do have some observations. But I'm going to sa- save those for the end. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I mean, I, I like obviously as you guys got from my text message, like, oh, some lovely topless gardening. Oh God! You know, <laughs> yes. What's happening now? It was quite enjoyable having seen the film and know what happened to get your. I knew like, exactly which bits he was talking about. Yeah, because you, because you. You were going like, oh wow, this film is bonkers. How much have you watched? Half an hour. It's like, yeah, you're not. It's not. It's, it gets more bonkers. I feel like, oh bless him. And you just like capital. I was like, what? Oh my god. And you're like, oh, so he's just seen that bit. He just because <laughs> I actually think the first hour or so is quite sedate. It's quite yeah. manageable. Well, I, still, I mean, I, I did, but I still thought it was like, yeah. Mad. What's going you know, on? Like, here, it yeah. was still mad. What's the end? And then, here, I mean, yeah. we went, we went deep ending into empty pools <laughs> by the end of this film, very literally. <laughs> um, so she, let's 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 do this end bit. So <laughs> Jack is shooting Sarah and Gigi. Yeah. Is it Sarah who feels ill or Gigi? Gigi. Gigi feels. Sorry, Gigi feels ill. She starts doing the most realistic. Gipping, vomiting noise. Yeah, gipping, <laughs> boking. Yeah. Here up north, that's what you know. It's proper. We're in proper Bigfoot being sick on Sam Elliott. Oh, God, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, that was enjoyable. Let's. <laughs> so she's gipping for ages. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go now if I start. God, <laughs> and and yeah, he, he, she. Uh, Gigi, sorry, Sarah comes in just in time to see her chuck up an eyeball, and she then says, "I've got to get her out of me," and grabs a pair of scissors, wazzes herself in the stomach with them, and then starts like soaring upwards. Oh, God. It's, it's very bad. Uh, <laughs> such an understatement. <laughs> Sarah's watching this behind big tinted glasses, like, Ooh. "What's going on here?" Um, and then once she's dead, she. Kneels down, and I'm thinking, like, oh, she's going to show some compassionate last for a dead friend. Nope! Picks up the eyeball, quaffs it in once. Such a brilliant performance, though, to be fair. Oh, it is. Yeah. Totally is. Totally is. Uh, dear. And then we go to one of, I think, one of FYR's best credit bangers. I think, actually. Oh, this song, song by Sia is off the chain. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> is it made for the film or is it just used for I think film? it is, you know. I think she wrote it, it for the film, yeah. Wow. yeah. So good. And it's just Sarah having a little stroll through the desert, isn't it? Is it Sarah? I think so, yeah. 
she's the winner of the Neon Demon. (laughs) (laughs) In the absolutely foul sort of cannibalised Royal Rumble that they've got going on between the models. A lovely dedication as well on the credits. For Liv. Live. There's nothing nothing more romantic than uh, dedicating a <laughs> film about cannibalistic supermodels to your wife, is there? <laughs> oh, I would have liked just like a scarf or something. But, uh, <laughs> oh, you old romantic one. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, having seen that, it's the fact that it's at the end, it's not at the start. You know, before you see all that, it's like right at the end, like you've just been forced to watch <laughs> one woman eat another woman's eyeball, uh, having watched one puke it up and then for my wife like honestly what is going on for in my wife on your birthday <laughs> so so should we do some should we do some best bits should we do that I mean my best bits were Rob's text commentary as he as he watched the movie that was outstanding stuff um, I mean that see a song is it's truly brilliant, and I've got it. <laughs> I will be enjoying that as we move forward. Honestly, um, I think the opening is incredible. Those first couple of shots uh, on the photo shoot with Elle Fanning, where she's got like been set up to look like she's had her throat slit, doesn't she? With like purple or mm. or neon sort of red makeup down there, and the dolly in and the dolly back out again, and it's got that Cliff Martinez synth heavy mm. uh score underneath which is fucking outstanding mm. and yeah i just i thought all right I, you know i don't know where this film is going to go but i'm very interested it just it just hooked me straight away yeah so it was a really arresting opening yeah mm. um yeah don't disagree with that at all actually uh sorry yeah the, a sort of similar shot was when she's doing the catwalk at the show and it's just everything's black, but then she just comes out of a triangle, and it's like a neon triangle, and she's walking out of that, but everything's black around it, and it's just, it's just stunning. So it just looks absolutely beautiful. It's so so amazingly shot. But then also that that first studio bit where she's in that um, in the photo shoot with Jack, ju- just before the bit where he kicks everyone out and and paints her with gold. And it just, it's a really wide shot, really wide lens. And it just, the camera just pans across and it's dead piercing white, like really, you know, it's like a a whole white out studio. And then you've got all the contrasted blacks of all like the equipment and stuff. And there's no music. All you're hearing is the sound of flash bulbs going off and then warming up, you know, those like electric ways like, Um, yeah, and as they're popping. And I just think that is just, just so it's so haunting, just that, that whole yeah. and that wide shot is just like how big even though it's a studio and there's only a few people in there, just how intimidating that world is for this little sixteen year old to walk into. There's just, it's just silent and all you're hearing is the echoes of everything going around. I just thought that shot was was very it was a very good establisher of of that world for for her. Um, I just thought it was very good. Yeah, all, right. the, the, all uh, everything that you mentioned in here, like because all these, all these sequences are so brilliantly shot. The colours are absolutely brilliant. The precision of the framing is also absolutely brilliant. Yeah, again, just just total agreement, really. For myself, I'm I'm going to go with an anchor in the storm that was this film when I saw a lovely member of the animal kingdom 
A mountain lion. Um, <laughs> uh, possibly the most innocent living creature in this film. Did you think it was Bigfoot for a second, Rob? God damn it, they screwed me! She opened the door. This is the Montreal <laughs> screw job all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, no, I, I really like that little. I, I, I just, I really like that moment with a mountain lion in there. And obviously, I like. I don't know. I'm not clever enough to know what the message of that is in the grander thematic sense of the film. Um, I just really like that she came home and found a big mountain lion in her bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. It's really terrifying the presence of mountain lions in California. When I it went really to, is. When I went to Yosemite, we were just walk. We're doing like a walk through the forest, and there was got to a sign, and it just said. It was a casual, it just went, watch out guys, there may be mountain lions here. And you're like, all right, cool, yeah, great. Like, what what do we get in England? Like, a badger is like the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they are vicious. Just mountain um, lions. Was, just, I, I saw, because um, mountain lions are the same as pumas, aren't they? Um, they're the same thing, essentially. Just different names, different continents. I saw one recently at a, a, a kid's zoo. Flipping unbelievable, <laughs> this animal. Uh, one thing is for sure, if I ever saw one of those out in the wild, I'd puma pant. Brilliantly done. Brilliantly done. That you. was good. Very that good. was a top Thank level. You. That was a top level dad joke, Rob. That was. Thank very you. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I do agree. I'm, I'm damn grateful. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's talk. Let's let's talk finale stuff here. Well, as in, <laughs> honestly, I'm still thrown. I still can't. I don't know how to to wrap this up or talk about this. So, FYR for your reconsideration, Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, NWR, the monogram bathroom bathroom guy. What do you think, James? Oh, do you reconsider this? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for all the issues that I have with the film in terms of its pomposity, I was never bored ever at any point. It is absolutely glorious to look at. Cliff Martinez's synth-laden score is an absolute banger, and the performances are really very good. Uh, what I will say is that for all its gratuity and edginess, I don't think its satire is as sharp as or, or provocative as it thinks it is, though I really applaud the ambition and the audacity of just putting this sort of stuff up on screen. I think, honestly, if you go into into the film knowing that you're going to... what you're getting is a arty take on old school exploitation cinema, then you're liable to uh, get some enjoyment from the film. Having said that, you're equally as likely to think it's a load of pretentious guff and turn it off after 20 minutes. (laughs) It's a risk, but you can't always play it safe when it comes to cinema. I'm very glad that Simon picked it and that I've seen it. So, yeah. Two years, two years on this guy box. (laughs) I know, it's gone now. now. I'm never watching it again, but it's <laughs> but I am glad that I've seen it. Sai, yeah, because uh, um, it was your pick, Sai. You, you will go last. Um, for myself, I, I, yes, I, I can I can add that I, I won't watch this again, most likely. <laughs> but um, I am so glad I've seen it. So glad I've seen it. It's it's brilliantly shot, brilliantly delivered, brilliantly scored, composed to perfection in so many ways. If you view this sort of more as a sort of like a horror movie, there will be so much to enjoy here. 
um, because it does take a really serious horror twist, this. And that's the way I ended up enjoying it. That's that's the lens with which I, I enjoyed what I watched. I think if I do have a quibble, it's the characterization. I think, is something that I... I felt a little bit lacking because I didn't feel like anyone had an arc. I didn't feel like anyone had a any kind of redemption at any point. Jessie was a good girl, became a nasty girl, died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's not really a you know. There's no sort of like sort of character out there. Jenna was a nice girl, we thought, but was a nasty girl, and yeah, no further. Ate her. They ate her. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, she ate her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The- yeah. Uh, the other, <laughs> yeah. the other two supermodels, are just nasty, and then one died, and then the other one was still nasty. There was no, there wasn't enough in the sort of like the no character goodies. stakes not for me. Not enough goodies for you. Not enough, apart from the mountain lion. Right. There's not, <laughs> there's not, there just wasn't enough in a character sense for me to latch onto. But that is a that is a small quibble. In otherwise, yeah, is enough. a brilliantly shot movie that. I just really enjoyed it. And you're right, I, I I will not watch it again because I truthfully wanted to throw up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, if you've not seen it and not heard it, heard of it, do what I did and just check it out. Um, it might not change your mind about a certain guy who I think just, just might have a small suspicion. He might think a little bit of himself, <laughs> possibly. Keanu Reeves. He's a very selfless <laughs> man, Rob. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a legend, isn't he? Um, well, no, definitely go check out the Neon Demon. I can't say it. I had this problem last week, didn't I? The Neon Demon. The Neon Demon. Go check out the Neon Demon because there's loads to enjoy. Cool. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a four-star movie for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just Yeah, I, I just feel like once you've experienced it, yeah, I don't, you don't... Yeah. yeah, you don't need to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I I think I mean yeah the the film certainly isn't for everyone. Um, but you know so you know if you if you're not a fan of his previous work, you're really not going to get on board with this. Um, if however, like me, you're enamoured by artistic filmmaking and perhaps have a penchant for chilling horror that disturbs more than it scares. Um, you know those films that evoke seventies exploitation European cinema from the likes of. Dario Argento, um, you know, then the Neon Demon might be worth a crack. If you've seen it before, there's no reason to watch it again. <laughs> to be honest, it, unless you really it, liked it, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, unless you love quaffing eyeballs, go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, it, there's it, it's full of bloody, be- you know, full of frames you could take a still of and frame it and stick it on your wall. It's just that that good looking. Um, but I wanted to leave you guys with an excerpt from Mr. Mark Commode's review which I think sums up uh, Wind and Refn and, and this film in particular, uh, you know, very accurately. Um, so, so yeah, in, in, summary, in summary of his review, he said, um, although some have seen The Neon Demon as a divisive companion piece to 2013's Only God Forgives, there are stronger connections still with The Act of Seeing, 2015's la- lavishly produced art book in which Refn drooled over posters for long-forgotten exploitation pictures, mesmerised by the way they aroused me, shocked me and frightened me, delighted by their carny sensibility and promises of the impossible. Those phrases could equally apply to The Neon Demon, a film driven by the same guilty pleasures that have long underpinned Refn's work, making him both the darling and the bete noir of auto art house cinema, the beauty and the beast. 
Um, and that's why Mark Commode is the best person in the game when it comes to <laughs> um, no I, disrespect that was very to the No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no disrespect to the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I read that review and I was like, yes. So it was a wonderful end, a wonderful way to end the episode, I thought. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, and I, I and, and I also agree with everything he's just said. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. I think it's when when your the movie pushes so many boundaries and so many borders that you you get kind of like whoa with it, you know. And it's sometimes like truthfully, I think I should have watched this maybe two weeks ago, and then I'd have been prepared to talk about it. <laughs> it's a film that does sit with you for a few days, like Under the Skin does, and um, yeah. You know, films like that where you mm. have to sort of sit on them for a while f- to process really yeah, yeah. process it. Um, you couldn't write a letterbox review while the credits roll, basically. <laughs> you have to think <laughs> about it and stuff like that. So, um, no, it's, it's another one of those where talking about it and, and sort of writing up the notes and reading into it, um, I, just, I feel I've got more out of it, to be honest. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I always feel better after talking to you guys about something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a film that does a lot more than just simply being a film, I think. Um, yeah, there's and, real artistry in it, I yeah. would say. Yes, I'd agree. For sure. And I think that deserves a lot of credit. Agree. Um, I think we were, again, I think we were all very fair as well, I think. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Lovely. Um, boys, I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. What have we got coming up next? Well, your next, pick, me, pick, next my one. pick. Yes. What Bigfoot picture have you got for us next? No. Um, what I will tell you. I mean, after you... tonight, Rob, you can pick whatever you want. <laughs> there are no boundaries anymore. Um, no, I. Um, I hope I've checked that it qualifies. This is a rare one, guys. I've not run it past my my esteemed colleagues yet. Um, but we're actually going to go to space in the next movie with 1998's Armageddon. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I haven't seen that for so long. I, I'm gonna watch it with Ben Affleck's commentary, I think. <laughs> ben Affleck drunk dunking on the movie. Yeah, he's one of the best things ever. Superb. Um, Superb. I just feel with with the very sad recent news of, about Bruce Willis. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought we needed a Brucey uh, a Brucey. Um and what better Brucey that we can actually do in our parameters, is there? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, next time out, 1998's Michael Bay. Sorry, Michael Bay's 1998. Michael Bay, isn't it? Michael it? Bay, yeah. Yeah. Michael Bay's 1998 movie, uh, Armageddon. Uh, James, earlier when you mentioned good old Bill Fichtner, and uh, I thought, like, oh, heck, I've, I nearly blew the, I nearly blew it then. Oof. <laughs> Yeah, have we done Bay before? I don't think we have, have no. we? No, no, it's been, no, no, I don't. No uh, Bay, no Bay. This is a Bay de- debut for Bay. Oh, a debut. <laughs> yeah, debut. <laughs> Sorry, does that work? Well, that, I've seen Armageddon before, but I'm hoping that it's better than Ambulance, which I saw a couple of weeks ago. Oh no, really? Is it not so great? <laughs> I felt a bit sick during it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, you will. You know, any time you feel sick in this, you will see. Uh, young Ben Affleck popping crackers from a belly button into someone's mouth or something. Animal crackers, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, um, that's what I could convince the missus to watch, definitely. She loves it. Yeah, movie. I'm thinking, are there any swear bombs in that movie? Yeah, there are, yeah. There must be, yeah. It's a 12. There's, so, a, there's at least one F-bomb, I think. 
Really? Yeah. I could coax some family intervention in. Billy Bob Thornton gets quite stressed out down on Earth, if I remember <laughs> correctly, and he drops off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to discuss this. Peter Stormare as well. Incredible cast. Come back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just and, and Steve Buscemi, how do you do fellow kids? <laughs> it all ties in. Um, fellas, thank you so much for everything. Have a great couple of weeks. Listeners, also have a great couple of weeks until we see you. Well, we see, hear, chat, next, listen, next, whichever. Um, look after yourselves. Please give us five stars on your subscription service of choice. Tune in next time for Armageddon. And take it easy. For goodness me, take it easy. Yeah. Yeah, be nice to one another because no one else is being nice to. <laughs> no, this is right. And if you do find yourself in a workplace scenario where you are competing for something, don't eat them and vom up their eyeballs, <laughs> please, for <laughs> goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say goodbye, boys. Bye bye. 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 <laughs> I am scarred. Who do I bill for the therapy? <laughs> <laughs> do we have like an insurance policy? NWR himself. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you send you some nice embroidered towels. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It sounds like a high-end spa resort. New, like the new wet retreat. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. 